Well, I have a very simple question put to you this morning, put to myself indeed. question that uh, occurred to me a few weeks ago when I was thinking ahead to this Lord's Day morning. I don't know what a text is going to be and what's going to be happening in the world when you, you come to preach it. But the, the question is, are you rejoicing? Right? Straightforward enough, isn't it? Are you rejoicing? And uh, you'll know why I'm asking you that question, because it's there in Philippians 4, verse 4. And it's not me saying this, it's actually an apostle. We pay, therefore, attention, don't we? An apostle is in Scripture, pay attention to it. It's inspired word of God. And so, writes the apostle there, rejoice in the Lord always again. I would say rejoice. Well, we have it. Rejoice in the Lord. Yes, in the Lord. Plenty of reason not to be rejoicing in so much that's happening today, but uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And it's in the context, isn't it, of a largely positive, use those words, upbeat letter. Okay, we had Yodia and Syntyche that seemed to be the fly in the ointment in the church there, but by and large, a church that uh, Paul feels very comfortable with, very confident in and is able to address matters here that are happy matters, thinking of glory. We've had uh, the resurrection, didn't we, there at the end of chapter 3. That comes into his overview. And it's some overview he has because it's from within the uh, four walls of a prison cell. Uh, it's not as if he's ranging far and wide and uh, enjoying good food at the moment. No, it's prison fodder, best anyway, that his friends could, could bring to him to make uh, his time there more palatable, more tolerable. Okay, he's expecting release from prison, uh, the way in which things are working out for him and the sense in which he gets or the sense that's coming to him of where things are presently suggests he, he's feeling hopeful in that. But who knows? Well, in a sense, he doesn't mind because if he has to go to be with Christ, that actually, he has told us earlier in the letter, is far better. And he commands us earlier, and we started at chapter 3, verse 1. You would have found the same there, finally, my brethren. He's just come to the beginning of chapter 3, two more chapters to come. That's a finally here. He's, he's on the home straight in terms of what he wants to say to these people. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Here it is from the prison cell, remember? Rejoice in the Lord. And he's going to say it again, in case we missed it, there in chapter 3, verse 1, in the verse that we have before us this morning, chapter 4 and verse 4. And Paul is not one of these people that, uh, well, let's say, they're just insufferably cheerful and rather superficially cheerful, kind of, you know, Butlins, Redcoats, these kind of, you know, cheerleadery types of folks there, just doing it upbeat uh, all the time. Uh, he's not like that. Uh, he's actually just being very logical here. The apostle is a master of logic. He just takes logic established upon spiritual foundations and principles and just takes you to the logical conclusions that you and I should reach. And if we're not reaching the same conclusions, the problem lies with us, not with Paul. Uh, he's not over the top here, as I say, not gone into Butlin's red coat kind of mode uh, and, and gone into overdrive. No, he's just speaking something there. He's not in some kind of idiotic trance or some kind of delusional uh, kind of happiness uh, in his prison cell. Um, he's being really quite down to earth about this joy uh, and being very sober, very solid about it. And that's what we are to be today. Well, any day today, even though we know what's happening out there in the 
world. It's not unfeeling counsel. As if, well, if you're not feeling like this, what's wrong with you? Pull yourself together. Uh, it's not that kind of uh, big stick being waved around and uh, bruised reeds that are feeling a little bit bruised and smoldering flaxes that are feeling very smoldering. Uh, as if to say, what's wrong with you? Pull yourselves together and uh, and wave a big stick around. No, it's very sympathetic to, to the people. He, he understands their needs uh, and understands the... I'll say a little bit of trial they're having in the church with these two good women, Yodi and Syntyche, that uh, have some fallouts in which he's anxious that a true companion will labour to to bring these people together and to bring this this little difficulty to a happier resolution. But anyway, uh, is his counsel to us reasonable today? Uh, did he have? Do we have sufficient grounds to rejoice today? And if there are sufficient grounds, then that killer question, which is the sermon title, then are we rejoicing? You and I, are we rejoicing in a meaningful sense, a solid sense? I don't say just a happy, cheery sense there. Some people are just like that, aren't they? Happy, cheerful kind of people, but uh, not always sure it's built on solid foundations. So if we've got solid foundations, then are we drawing the implications? Are we rejoicing? First heading. Christianity is not stupid, right? Christianity is not stupid. Not this uh, religion for poor, poor creatures, struggling creatures who just need a bit of a crutch to walk on, Uh, a little bit sort of weak-brained, feeble-minded people, a bit stupid people. So here's something for stupid people. (laughs) Indeed, we would say, no, here's wisdom, actually. Uh, it's over there that the stupidity is and the folly is. Uh, no, we say we differ, actually, differ very strongly. And we've had good reason to actually differ even more strongly in, in recent years that uh, if that's what the world calls good and great. Um, count me out personally. Uh, count me in to what I read in Scripture more and more emphatically because the value, the truth, the reality, the wisdom of scripture and what we have in Christ just becomes more apparent actually with every passing day. No, we wouldn't change any of this for the sinner's gold as uh, Isaac Watts hymn puts it so, so memorably there. Now faith, yes, please is going to keep its hold. Uh, we will stay with what we have. Thank you because Christianity is not stupid. And it's not stupid in this sense that it does put some kind of foolish smile upon the face as though there is some, oh, I don't know, unthinking, uncritical, unwise sort of experience of life that we're having and that we just have to go with some sort of superficial rejoicing all the day. We're real people. Christianity is real religion. Well, we've been reading, having Psalms some months back. I know it is now, but we saw there that that doesn't conceal the reality of life for the believer. That doesn't hide from view difficult things, hard things that you and I have to look out upon, vexing things, things that cause us sorrow. And you won't have to go far in the apostles' writing to find that this man who can say, rejoice in the Lord always, can say that he has continual sorrow and grief in his heart that he has an enduring, he has a care for his own countrymen, the Jewish people, and is filled with sorrow, the unbelief that he sees in them. And he felt it, you know, real, 
And these tears that he speaks about here of those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't say that sort of averagely, matter-of-factly, but he says it with weeping. Well, that's the man who's also saying rejoice always. So there's weeping. Well, there's weeping for God's people too. And perhaps it speaks a little ill of us in a rather hard, cold heart, so we don't weep rather more. Maybe the wider church out there that's got carried away at times on a tide of triumphal expectation of revival would do with weeping a bit more and sorrowing a little longer over what has happened in our society over the last 50 years or so. So this is not something for simpletons or characters of a sort of Pollyanna-ish, bright, always hopeful kind of people there because that's how we are by nature. It deals with reality. It's got something to say for people who can times feel such disappointment at how things turn out, such sorrow about those who turn out not to be the real deal, not true brethren who disappoint with their behavior, leave us there grieving, really. And Paul knows what that's about. He's had that. You and I have had that. We know what that feels like, what it looks like. And we would be weird, strange people if we didn't feel it. Whereas we look now, and I say, I didn't prepare this sermon here. President Putin didn't give me advance warning of what he would be up to and just give me a few hints and guides to what to preach. But, well, we can't look at what we're seeing in Ukraine. That feeling, sadness and sorrow, grief, horror at what is unfolding there. And we're not meant to just glibly sail through it and just sort of swish it all away with a few kind of ill-thought-through comments and, and, and glib text applied. So we'll just send out to them Philippians 4 verse 4 and so they are get over it. We're meant to feel their sorrows and their sleeplessness and their, their matters of life and death. And as far as we can, share with it and share with it in prayer, with our giving and our concern. So there is a reality. Christianity is not stupid. It's got something for all seasons. But it's got something to say to us, hasn't it, there, to temper our sorrows so that we're not swallowed up in sorrow, not swallowed up in apprehension and perplexity at the times that are upon us. It says, but wait a moment. <laughs> Actually, you and I, if we're believers today, have got something very substantial to rely upon not just fall back upon on rainy days, but have for all days, which should introduce into us a note always of hope uh, and of, of joy, of expectation, hope in God. And that we have, because here is the fact, isn't it? The Christian and the Christian faith has foundations, has foundations, foundations that stand. And they stand despite... Uh, President Putin's missiles and bombs and tanks rolling through the Ukraine landscape. They hold fast against that and they hold fast through a pandemic. Back on that now, wonder what that was all about in the light of what we presently have. It stood fast through other events. It stands fast out there in sub-Saharan Africa and various places where Islamism is a, a daily threat. It's not as if they've newly found uh, people in Ukraine and they're in Europe, her own backyard. But the fact is, people have been living with horrors. So that's a daily experience where Islam has 
threatened in its most militant the livelihood and well-being of people, kidnapping people at random and at will, uh, imprisoning, incarcerating young women, depriving them of their families, their education, trying to brainwash them out of what their Christian faith is, into the embrace there under the sword of Islam. That is the religion of peace. Thank you. Now, the Christian faith has foundations, the structure. You and I, friends, if you're building upon Christ today, you're building upon rock. I thought about that a little bit the other week, didn't we? And well, the storms come and they beat against our houses. What are they made of? What's your life made of? What's mine made of? Well, if you've got Christ at the heart of it, you've got foundations. Oh, you may sway a bit, you may rock a bit, maybe a few tiles dislodged by whatever spiritual equivalents of Storm Eunice there are out and about there. But at the end of it, it's still standing, still standing. It'll actually be stronger for it. That's what trials do to Christians, don't they? They don't leave us weaker, they leave us actually stronger. Uh, a bit of uh, having to endure a storm force wind or something else there. Uh, storm Eunice. I'm going to be incorporating, jesting the equivalent of Storm Eunice into myself ahead of tomorrow's hospital appointment. There, this dire stuff I've got to be drinking this afternoon. Uh, dear friends, let's not dwell upon it too much there, but I think Storm Eunice is just about hit me somewhere on the insides. Well, anyway, got foundations, friends. We have foundations and structure to life. We have convictions that are actually deepened, not weakened. They're deepened through experiences there. Christian actually survives through trials because we have an essential hope. We have an essential hope. The word essential, basic, this is the very kind of essence of it. This is the center of it, a hope. We have a savior from whom we are building a knowledge, an essential knowledge. Whatever passes for knowledge these days, and you have to question and wonder at it, don't we? So many expertises which have come under a fair bit of scrutiny, and I'm afraid just criticism. We have knowledge beyond any expert knowledge. We have the expert knowledge, the best knowledge. We have knowledge of Christ. You and I, friends, know God. Know God. That's a statement and a half, isn't it, Just You and I know God. Know the God who made the heavens and the earth. Know the God who is upholding it, keeping it, giving you life, breath, and everything else this morning. Giving life, breath, and everything else to fellow believers in the Ukraine, other places where there is difficulty and stress. You and I know him. That's life, eternal, is to know you, true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's it, summed up for us there. And you pray to him, and I pray to him. You pray to him perhaps this morning. I pray to him this morning. It may feel a little artificial at times. It may feel a bit unreal at times. But the fact is the fact that you and I are praying to our Father in heaven and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have essential knowledge. And yes, just said it, haven't I? An essential relationship. The essential relationship. Well, there's some wonderful relationships there. Husbands and wives and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and fellowship here within the life of a local church. Which when it functions at its best, not Yoda and Syntyche wise, but functions at its best, oh, well, there is delight in that. But beyond it, and indeed because of it, those relationships flourish uh, and, and only function at their best because of the essential relationship already mentioned, a relationship with God through 
our Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever day you and I wake up to, whatever day we rest our heads on our pillows at the end of whatever's been happening around and about us there, you and I have an essential hope. You and I have cheer for the hearts. You and I know the one who holds eternity. There is indeed much to cheer and much to comfort us in whatever day we're in. Christianity then is not stupid. It is actually hugely reasonable. And my second heading, really the substance of the sermon here and what should actually answer our question for us. So are we rejoicing? Reasons to be joyful. Reasons to be joyful. I've already stolen my thunder largely what I've already said, but reasons to be joyful. First of all, I'm going to cut the ground under the reasons for sinners to be joyful. Cut that uh, out immediately there um, because sinners, people outside of Christ, I have to inform you if you're here in this room today or if you're listening on the internet, you you haven't actually got many reasons at all to be joyful. If you're eating, drinking and be merry, well, then the next part is tomorrow you die. And it's not just the extinction of you. Brother Andrew there reading out in the open air yesterday, Terry Pratchett's expectations before he died. And just this sort of darkness and, you know, the journey that just goes on into darkness. No, sorry, it doesn't. It goes on into actually light. And the light, I'm afraid, is the light of the existence of God's reality that you will then find and judgment and that you got it wrong. You got it so, so wrong. You were laughing now and I was out the other Saturday. I minimize my movements out on trains on Saturday because the folks you end up with there often rather, rather depress the soul. Reading a book on holiness, well, I could have done with reading that there for a few else in the carriage. Never seen so many fake tans and fake eyelashes and all the rest of it there and cans of drink and bottles of exquisite this and that, which are all going to be consumed ahead of whatever the afternoon and that Saturday evening held out by way of entertainment and delight. Felt there, fish out of water, felt there, come Lord Jesus quickly. This is it. I don't want any part of it. Thank you. And that may be exciting for the sinner today. That may be what life holds out to them Saturday night. And we get up to then and we don't want to dwell on that over much. And that's it. Well, enjoy your laughter now because it isn't going to continue. You come into the presence of God. And none of that, indeed, in fact, all of that is going to count against you. None of it will count for you. And you're undone and you're finished and you're doomed. And there is hell. And you heard it and maybe thought, well, is it really? Does it really exist? Yes, it does. Condemnation. That's the sentence. That's what it means. Exclusion. That is the place where God is not, at least in the sense of issuing and giving forth to you confirmation and love and, and affirmation and belonging to him. That's the place where you feel a non-belonging to him and feel that he is a God of justice and how that justice is now yours to have to experience. And it's unending when it just stretches on. That's a realization. I guess it just grows in hell. And it is something to really, really part with all your after now, part with all the fun, part with all the games. It's going to all end and lend in tears. So weep tears for your soul now. And find this Christ. You've no reason to be joyful. It's over on the other side of the fence that the life is. The Christian has solid grounds to be joyful, hopeful, positive, even smiling through the storms. Firstly, obviously, we have a saviour. You and I, friends, we have a saviour. 
And I could end the sermon there, couldn't I? Job done. Statement made. That's the fact. But of course, to the soul that still is standing against that knowledge that they are a sinner, that still hasn't cottoned on to the fact that, oh, not just the doings, not just the sayings, but what's in the heart, what's animating that, what's, what's its desires and inclinations, that they're just horribly, terribly against God. But until you know that, that you actually need saving from the wrath of God, that you need saving from his justice, you need being somehow uh, brought out from under a condemnation that's not arbitrary, but is simply the application of law to your case and mine, then none of this will seem of any worth. But to the soul that's been awakened, to the one that's seen, that's me, and that I'm here under the wrath of God, that I'm placed there because of law, God's law, the Ten Commandments, that they are demanding actually my death, demanding punishment for my case. But then when you've seen that that punishment, and it's a big punishment because sin, we realise, is big, because God, His holiness, is big, and it is perfect, and it is all-encompassing, every aspect of life, the thought of life, the intentions, the unspoken words, the desires that we've yet to articulate, which all speak ill of us and magnify the law of God and the rightness of it. But then just see that that wrath, that punishment, God has removed from us, put it on his son instead. And there he is on the cross, what a cross that was, wasn't it? There, dear friends, what a cross. There's his agony. There's his pain. It's not just the taunts of all the horrible expression of ugly humanity around the cross, the chief priests and all the people shouting abuse. Oh, put that aside. It's what's happening in here. It's feeling that dread weight of sin that we sung about earlier, that he bore. And that was a weight, because it was what God demanded of you and me, if you're a believer today. He was demanding it of his son. And his son entered into this, knowing that that was to what it was his portion. That was the cup to drink to its bitter dregs. But he did it open-eyed. He did it willingly. He did it out of love for your soul and mine, that we should be forgiven. That we should have our sin atoned for. And he knew we couldn't do it ourselves. He knew we had nothing, nothing that could bring any kind of favor from God. He knew only he could do that from his own pure and perfect life and obedience. He could do it and he would do it. Took himself to that cross in all of its horror, all that was to entail that we today might have reasons for rejoicing. Sin atoned for. Well, that, friends, says it all. Whatever the next day holds for you and me, we look at one, Christ, and we'll look at him here, won't we, by faith later, at the communion table. One so noble, one so capable, one so loving, one so excellent, and we look at him so given to that work of obtaining that salvation, of bringing forth that pardon, that one day you and I, might believe upon him, might see our sin, see what it is requiring of us one day from God, that we're forfeit, we're done, we're undone. But there is he, giving himself in the place of people like us, that we might then 
have the wonderful duty of believing in him for eternal life and finding him mighty to save. There is joy in that. There is satisfaction in that, that we don't have to be frozen by guilt and paralyzed by fear, consumed by anxiety. We are in his hands. And if in his hands today, friend, you'll be in his hands tomorrow. You'll be in his hands for eternity. Eternal security, we believe and preach. Salvation today, yes, and always. Not here today, gone tomorrow. That's no message. I can't bring you any hope with that. But here is a message I believe is the authentic message from the cross. That believe in him today, and he holds you then for eternity. And you will have no reason to fear the day of judgment, fear anything. But you will have life eternal. So it means we have a future. Yes, be joyful today because we have a future. Let me just read again the end of Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Citizenship. Well, by all means, we have citizenship to our own nation. People of Ukraine, we're getting to know what the Ukrainian flag looks like there, aren't we just? And we appreciate uh, the way in which so many of them, people totally inversed in the arts of warfare, but who, who, who are bearing arms to defend the country, digging trenches and doing all kinds of ingenious things they could never imagine themselves having to do a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe in the later, later months, they maybe have been getting the idea uh, of doing that. Now we appreciate that. And we appreciate that, that they will be well served, not only to have their own national flag, okay, we'll concede that and it has its place, well thought through, and you can't reckon your country right in everything and have it uh, there as uh, faultless. It's not our nation isn't faultless, no country is. They're flawed. All countries are flawed. Their histories are flawed. But to have also a citizenship, a more important one, which secures our future, that there it is, it's in heaven. That's that company, that place, Emmanuel's land. Land of pure delights. Down in Southampton, looking across the, the sort of the water there, great sort of uh, seaport, isn't it there? And great cruise liners, the huge things. Well, anyway, but you look across, the Isle of Wight's over there, but the, the kind of peninsula now, which, which is quite built up, um, oil refineries have been there and the rest of it. But apparently inspired Isaac Watts when he wrote his hymn about heaven. He saw trees and beautiful kind of rural landscape and that land of pure delights that he wrote about heaven. I was actually inspired by, by what he saw when he looked out across the, the water from Southampton. Well, that's, that's our, our home there. Earth is our lodge. Actually, heaven is our home. That's our citizenship. We have a passport for there. Christ's blood written in it for us that we have entry uh, and indeed already belong that we can converse already with the things of heaven even while we're here in this sad sad earth earth you know friend if you haven't already discovered it will not be able to meet all your longings will not be able to fulfill your hopes and expectations will not be able to offer you joys that are unending joys exquisite joys that will be felt for every moment of the day it is a veil of tears. It is a place of sorrow because it is still a fallen world full of sin. 
full of all of its horror and ugliness as expressed either by nations or individuals or individuals in nations carries itself into the everyday life and experience of believers we're not insulated from it it impacts us glad we are then to think that no this isn't this isn't the final thing this this isn't the end of it all this whatever nuclear wars whatever no that's not the end of it all we look beyond we travel beyond we have a hope beyond here and we have our blessed hope that is our lord jesus christ and beyond that be joyful too that as i've explained or hope i have we have the most essential most re- meaningful relationship that you and i can have not just towards a fellow british person thinking that at its best there or fellow ukrainian thinking that at its best here but it is a relationship with a god of such kindness that he who is holy infinite glorious and enthroned above also inhabits doesn't he the, our place meets with the lowly meets with the broken hearted meets with those who mourn over their sin and comes with words of reassurance comfort speaks words of grace and by the actions of the holy spirit imparts works of grace into the very depth of the soul we lean on him we rely on him we look to him for our daily bread we learn more to rely upon him through the ups and downs of life we find that he is trustworthy faithful the covenant that he's made with us the promises that are bound up with it are true and they endure for ever and ever we pray to him we enjoy fellowship with him communion with him we enjoy communion and fellowship with each other and uh, as we work together serve together out there preaching and witnessing yesterday on the streets of belper and enjoying companionship afterwards and a nice cup of coffee cappuccino whatever you taste whatever your choice there there we were and how often as christians do you not find yourself in the right place and at the right time and is that not an outcome of this meaningful relationship that we have with god putting you there giving you the resources you needed then not before then you had to wait till the 11th hour but they came and you were there in the right place and at the right time by divine appointment reasons to be joyful actually you should be finding that you're changing and um i'm going to bring the messages i preached in southampton at the conference on the saturday change from glory like one degree of glory into another that do you not find that that uh, he's changing you changing me just making us more substantial and something further in us more to bring to that situation to that situation old habits dying off old attitudes withering away new appetites new attitudes new approaches new ways of thinking about things that that are joining on us so finally third heading why aren't we more joyful in the light of that and i could have had another 20 points i'm sure and not exhausted my my subject reasons to be joyful why aren't we more joyful well perhaps a basic question are you converted yes are you converted have you found the lord yet then be urgent be be urgent uh for one thing you're missing so much um uh, look at the world that you're in is that going to bear out your hopes is is that going to play ball with your your hopes and desires notice this uh, don't promise yourself uh, peace and quiet you know you come out of covid and then hit by what's happening in ukraine 
as if we are, aren't we? We, we sort of escape from, from a bear and then put your hand down and there's a cobra waiting to bite you. And that's not abnormal. That, that I'm afraid is normal. Perhaps we've been fooled and made complacent over these years, the so-called peace dividend that we've had. And we're maybe, maybe we've exhausted that now and we moved into different times. Well, you'll need then all that I've said about solid, reliable foundations. So come, come to Christ, come now, build where you won't be disappointed. But maybe we're missing the point. Talked about this Christ, but somehow the Christ you travel with is an insufficient one. That he is not sufficient to save you from your sin and that you're having to uh, kind of pay your installments of good works there with great fear and guilt and trepidation. And you haven't got peace. You haven't got real security, not assurance. When everything that the cross is speaking to you about, everything this communion table speaks to you about, is reasons to have assurance, to have peace, to, oh, relax, actually. <laughs> and learning to relax is often the key to sanctification. Not the other stuff, not the fear, not the anxiety. Well, I'm sitting my thunder from what I'm going to be talking about in a few weeks' time, as I talked about in Southampton. But that's an insufficient Christ. You're meant to look to a very, very sufficient Christ and find your comfort in him. Could be the opposite problem, that you're careless about your relationship with him. You're not praying, as you should. You're not taking seriously your relationship with him. That's often, it's often the undoing of a believer and the kind of miss the comfort, miss the peace, miss the joy, uh, don't find joy because they're careless, careless about their relationship with him. And obviously, if we're holding on to sin, well, no wonder uh, God is not pleased with his children who hold on to sin. I'll say you're going to lose your salvation, but you're going to lose some of your present comforts and consolations. You're going to lose some fellowship with the Spirit. And there is no recommendation to be held out in that. Nothing good to be said about it. Nothing good to be said about sin. Leave it. Part with it. You can't take that to heaven with you. And it'll make what should be heaven on earth for you more like a hell on earth. You'll be feeling lack of peace, lack of assurance, lack of comfort. Part with sin now. And I mentioned, you know, some standards of works that are not actually from the Bible, but our own invention, our own kind of devising, that is a thankless task, paying the installments, keeping up the obligations there. Oh, what a treadmill. I can't find any joy in that for me or for you. And maybe you're missing some joy if you're caught up in that. You need more of Christ, more of the true Christ, the real Christ, the sufficient Christ. You'll find more joy then. You'll have more readily to mind, more readily to access a reality, the power in that reality that when facing the adversities and they sure are with us today, you'll have something to supply to it, something that's substantial, solid joys, these real things. Only Zion's children know that and prove the case. Let's show that. Let's dig deep, dig deep into that Christ that will have more of him. Let's be more sanctified. Because to be more Christ-like is actually to be more joyful. Nearer him, then there's more joy to know. In closer proximity with him. So are you rejoicing today, dear friend? Are you? Am I? Am I rejoicing? There's the question. I have to leave it with you. But I turn your attention to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. What the apostle writes here. Not for any day, every day. Yes, every day, always. He repeats it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say... Rejoice.
Amen.